With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. Before I get to today's agenda, I'm excited to announce that we've started a new series called Forza Napoli Worldwide. For those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, this is a series dedicated to Napoli fans. It will be a series of interviews with Napoli fans all over the world. It's an opportunity to get different perspectives, opinions, and points of view besides just my own. And most importantly, it's a platform for fans to speak their minds. It will be raw. I won't be doing much editing. So if you don't like swearing, be forewarned. I imagine there will be some episodes that we record after losses that are going to get pretty emotional. So definitely check that out. We just posted the first episode with my good friend Gaetano Solazzo. Alright, so back to today's episode. We're not going to talk about the Supercoppa Italiana match. Not because I'm too disappointed about the result to talk about it. But rather because that was the main topic of the conversation I had with Gaetano on Forza Napoli Worldwide. You can also get my thoughts on that game in the latest episode of the Calcio Guys. Which posted on Thursday. Today we'll start with the latest news around Napoli. We'll also recap Atalanta's makeup match against Udinese that was played on Wednesday. In part 2, we'll review the Napoli Femminile match against Roma, and we'll quickly cover our Primavera match against Frosinone on the weekend. And in part 3, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Hellas Verona. So let's start with the news. We've had a couple of big stories break over the last couple of days. The first is that the Arkadouj Milik telenovela has finally ended. Milik is officially a Marseille player. The club didn't make an official announcement until Friday, 
but the usual transfer experts were confirming the transfer on Thursday. There are varying reports as to the value of the sale. Napoli confirmed that Milik joins Marseille on an 18-month loan with an obligation to buy. Of course, that means Napoli had to extend his contract first. If you're wondering why he wasn't just sold outright, that was most likely because a lot of clubs, especially French clubs, are hurting financially because of COVID. Ligue 1 was the only top 5 league to cancel their 2019-2020 campaign, which caused a lot of damage financially. The reports I've seen suggest that Napoli will be paid somewhere between 8 and 9 million euros, plus 4 to 5 million euros in bonuses, and 20 to 30% in sell-on fees. I've seen some people suggest that the bonuses are easy to achieve. I don't know what the bonus structure is, so I can't really comment on that. But what I can tell you is those bonuses are basically insurance for Marseille. We know that Milik has a history of knee injuries, so the bonuses protect Marseille from overpaying for a player who is prone to injury. I know Milik will go down as one of our most hated players, at least of recent times, but he did post a really nice video thanking the fans. He talked about how he arrived at the club in 2016 with a smile on his face. He said he'll never forget how Napoli embraced him, and he shed a lot of tears during his time with the club. Tears of pain when he got hurt, tears of sadness when he came close to Scudetto in the second year, and tears of joy after winning the Coppa Italia. But the color and passion of Napolitani people was always there. He added that far or near he will always respect the color and the city. He leaves like he arrived with a smile because he knows what he has given and what the city has given him and he ended with a hug to all. Now I know we could have gotten more had we reached a deal in the summer but in the end I'm glad cooler heads prevailed and that we got something rather than nothing. Ultimately, an agreement was best for all parties. Napoli get a decent return for a player who could have walked for free in the summer. It's good for the player who was at risk of missing the Euros for sitting out an entire domestic campaign. And Marseille get a player in his prime with a huge potential upside. Milik was already training with his new club on Friday, but for anyone planning to watch Marseille on the weekend... To see how Milik does, don't expect to see much right away. Andre Villas-Boas said that Milik will be in the squad for Marseille's match against Monaco at the weekend, but he will not be in the starting 11 because he hasn't played for a while, so he needs time to find his match pace. The other big story on Friday was Napoli confirmed that Victor Osman has recovered from COVID. Osman himself dropped a little hint on Instagram earlier in the day. He posted a picture of himself with two emojis in the description, an hourglass timer followed by a coming soon arrow. Don't expect to see Osman return to the starting 11 as quickly as Juan Cuadrado did for Juve though. Osman has been off for a lot longer because of his shoulder injury. Even prior to this news, I read that the club was targeting the match against Parma on January 31st for his return. With Osman testing negative, reports have now surfaced that Napoli are willing to sell Fernando Llorente. This isn't surprising because the previous reports were that Napoli were holding on to Llorente due to the uncertainty around Osman's health. Supposedly, Llorente has reached an agreement with Udinese to replace Kevin Lasagna. Lasagna is expected to join Hellas Verona next week, which is why the reports suggest that Llorente will join Udinese next week. Finally, in case you haven't heard, Napoli will play against Spezia in the quarterfinals of the Coppa Italia. Spezia beat Roma 4-2 in dramatic fashion. Spezia went ahead by two fairly early in the match. Roma scored one before the end of the first half and then equalized in the second half to force extra time. But Gianluca Mancini and Paolo Lopez were both sent off in the opening minutes of extra time. 
Roma product Daniele Verde put Spezia ahead in extra time and Ricardo Saponara put the game away. He scored an audacious chip, very similar to the one scored by Roma legend Francesco Totti against Inter. So Napoli will play Spezia on Thursday the 28th of January. The winner of that match will play against the winner of Atalanta and Lazio. So that's the latest news on Napoli. Next, let's recap Atalanta's midweek game against Udinese, which was also very important to Napoli. On Wednesday, Atalanta played their match day 10 makeup game against Udinese. This match finished in a 1-1 draw on goals from Roberto Pereira and Luis Muriel. Udinese shocked Atalanta scoring the opening goal only 24 seconds into the match. Kevin Lasagna did really well to receive the long ball from Jens Strieger Larsen before squeezing his pass through to Pereira. He carried it down the wing and rolled his shot under Golini and into the back of the goal. After that, the game was played more along the lines of what we were expecting. Atalanta had most of the ball and Udinese were content to sit back and defend. Juan Musso made a couple of big saves in the first half. First, he denied Joachim Meili his first goal in his full debut. Then he made an excellent kick save on Rafael Toloi, but it was only a matter of time before Atalanta broke through. Luis Muriel equalized just before the break. Muriel continues to be red hot. That was his 11th of the season and his 7th in his last 7 games. Marco Pessina played a lovely ball through to find Muriel at the top of the box, but most of the credit goes to the Colombian. Bacau got to the ball with his sliding tackle, but didn't offer enough. Muriel kept going and finished over Juan Musso. The second half was much more of the same, but Atalanta really struggled to produce anything. According to the official match report, Atalanta had 18 shot attempts, 8 of which were on target. However, only one chance in the second half really stood out to me, which was a Christian Romero header that narrowly missed the target. Giampiero Gasparini tried to win the match by bringing his heavy hitters off the bench. Duvan Zapata, Josip Ilicic, and Robin Gosens all came on as substitutes in the 58th minute, and Raymond Freuler joined in the 81st minute, but none of them were able to make the difference. So this match finished in a draw, which was a huge result for the clubs battling for Champions League positions, which includes Napoli, of course. Had Atalanta won this match, they would have jumped from 6th in the table to 3rd, with Juve and Napoli still having to play their game in hand. Instead, Atalanta remained in 6th place, two points clear of Lazio. Atalanta have not lost in nine consecutive matches, but consistency has been a problem for them. They've looked like the Atalanta from last season in their wins over Fiorentina, Roma, Sassuolo, Parma, and Benevento, but then they did not look like themselves in their draws to Juventus, Bologna, Genoa, and Udinese. Things aren't going to get easier for Atalanta either. They play against Milan three days after this match, Milan are depleted, but will be playing with two extra days of rest, so that should make for a very entertaining match. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll recap our Napoli Femminile and Primavera matches.
Next, let's talk about our women's team. This was our first Serie A match after a long break for the holidays. The women's league has only 12 teams, so they can afford to take much more time off. Our last game was a 2-1 loss to Hellas Verona on December 13th. After that match, we sacked our coach, Giuseppe Marino, and he was quickly replaced by Alessandro Pistolesi. For this match, Pistolesi maintained the 4-3-3 formation that Marino employed. Catalina Perez started in goal. Alexandra Hune and Nuomi Arnatodir started at centre-back. This was Arnatodir's second start, but her first at centre-back. She played at left-back against Hellas Verona. Martina Fuzzini started this match at left-back, and Elisabetta Olivero started at right-back. Emma Erico started in the center of the midfield with Vivian Beal to her left and Sarah Houchet to her right. Evie Popadinova started on the left wing. She was just named the Bulgarian Women Footballer of the Year for the fifth time. Jenny Hjelman started on the right wing and Pia Riesdijk started at striker. This was an entertaining back-and-forth affair. Roma looked very strong out of the gate. I was really impressed with how they were passing the ball, but it was Napoli who found the back of the goal first from a corner kick. Popadinova did well to get up to win the header and glanced it inside the far post. That was her second goal in as many matches. Roma had a chance in the 19th minute, but Alexandra Hune did really well to block Paloma Lozaro's shot. I thought this was one of Hune's best performances of the season, if not her best. A minute later, Brazilian Andressa had a shot from the top of the box, but she got under it and it missed high and wide. Then a minute after that, Perez made a big save on a shot by Claudio Cicotti that took a deflection on its way to goal. It was only a matter of time before Roma equalized, and they did so in the 22nd minute. Anna Marina Centurini curled her shot from the left side of the box inside the far post. Just think of the classic Lorenzo Insigne goal, that's basically what Centurini did here. You just have to tip your hat to her there, it was a beautiful strike. Roma continued to pour it on after the goal. Oliviero made a beautiful sliding block on another Andressa shot in the 32nd minute. Centurini tried to score a carbon copy of her goal just before the break, but she couldn't keep her shot down, and moments later, Lindsay Thomas had a shot go wide of the target. The second half started very much the same way that the first half ended. Only a few minutes into the half, Sertorini cut into the middle before laying off to Andressa, but her shot from the top of the box hit the bar and stayed out. In the 53rd minute, Perez made another excellent save, this time on Lozaro. On the ensuing corner kick, Sertorini came close, but her shot from the top of the box narrowly missed the far post. Much like in the first half, even though Roma were looking like the much better side, we managed to find the back of the goal again, this time from the penalty spot. Hjelman got behind Kaya Erzin, who proceeded to pull Hjelman down in the area. There was no doubt about it, this was a penalty. Sarah Houchet stepped up and converted the penalty to level the score at 2. This was the first time we scored twice in a match since our second game of the season. A few minutes later, Elisa Bartoli went to ground in the box hoping for a penalty of her own, but it wasn't given. I thought there was actually a foul on that play. Bartoli had a lot to say to the match official after that, earning herself a yellow card for dissent. But the Roma captain made amends in the 64th minute. She played her header off the post and in to put Roma back ahead. Full credit to Lindsay Thomas for the run she made on the right wing and for the quality of the cross. Napoli came close to leveling on a corner kick in the 79th minute, but after a scramble in the Roma box, the ball was cleared off the line. We ran out of steam after that. Roma had the last quality chance of the match after a direct corner kick, but once again Perez made a really nice save. Despite conceding three goals, she was very good in this match. It could have easily ended 
4 or 5 to 2 had it not been for Perez. So Roma spoiled Pistolesi's debut as coach, but they fully deserved the 3 points. Roma were clearly the better side on this day. That brings us to the midway point of the season and it's just been an awful return to Serie A for us. We have only 1 point through 11 matches, we're 7 points off from safety, so our chances of surviving are looking pretty grim. So that was our women's team, our Primavera team also played at the weekend against Frosinone. This was our first game since the Primavera was suspended, and even though it was the 5th round, it was only our 2nd match of the season. Our previous 3 matches against Pescara, Regina, and Pisa were all postponed due to COVID. Emmanuel Pichone lined up in a 3-4-2-1 with Huberi Dasiak in goal. Davide Costanzo played at center back, Nello Donofrio played at center left wearing the captain's armband, and Oscar Guarino played at center right. Flavio Romano played on the left wing and Nathaniel Amoa played on the right wing. Rafael Virgilio and Brando Sami played in the center of the midfield. Gennaro Iaccherino and Antonio Vergara played in front of the midfield. And Giuseppe Ambrosino played at striker. This match finished in a nil-nil draw. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the full match, so I'm relying on a short highlight clip. Both sides had excellent scoring opportunities in the first half. Early in the match, Vergara did well to force his way through the Frosinone backline. It looked like his shirt was being pulled and had he gone to ground, I think the penalty would probably have been given. But he kept working before the ball fell for Ambrosino at the top of the 6-yard box. He should have scored from that distance, but somehow he missed the target. Moments later, Vergara nearly scored, sliding at the top of the box to get to the ball before Frosinone keeper Andrea Trovato got there, but Trovato made himself big to stop the shot. Moments later, Vergara nearly scored, sliding at the top of the box to get to the ball before Frosinone keeper Andrea Trovato got there, but Trovato made himself big to stop the shot. The rebound fell for Virgilio, who chipped the keeper, but centre-back Gabriele Brazzaglia was there to calmly chest the ball back to Trovato on the line. Frosinone had their chances next. Striker Hida Vitalucci dispossessed Amoa. Andrea Perez returned the ball to Vitalucci who cut in at the top of the box for the shot. He couldn't keep it down though and it sailed harmlessly over the bar. Frosinone captain Lorenzo Cocha had the final real chance of the match still in the first half. He controlled the clearance at the top of the box and dribbled past three Napoli defenders before firing on target. Idasiak made an excellent save. And then he stopped Vitalucci point blank, but Vitalucci was called offside, so had he scored it probably wouldn't have counted. It seemed that neither team created anything in the second half, so after two matches, we have a loss and a draw. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Hellas Verona. Napoli in farmacia. <laughs> Io cammino ogni notte. Io cammino e sbariano, io non tengo mai suono, non chiudo mai il e non bevo caffè. Pate cocche, sienta a me, pate cocche, sienta a me. Una persiana che sbatte, un lampione che luce, e un ubriaca che dice bussando una porta, ma la non c'è. A tre misa non dormi più, una bucchella vorrei ascurdare. Gente decida ma gomma già va. Piglia della pastiglia, piglia della pastiglia, sienta a me. Poi mi fa dormire, poi mi fa scordare il mio dolce amore. Piglia della pastiglia, piglia della pastiglia, sienta a me. Poi mi fa sentire come un gran pascià e mi nebbra il cuore. Tinte e vetrine, tutti farmacisti. 
la de que hagamos mil ha dado el posto. Alle pallini, glicero, fosfato e bromo, televisionato, grammi 003. Piglia ah. della pastiglia, sienta a me. In the final part, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Hellas Verona. This is the 82nd meeting between these two clubs and the 41st to be played in Verona. In the previous 40, Napoli have won 16, Verona have won 13, and 11 have resulted in draws. This season, Verona have a record of 7 wins, 6 draws, and 5 losses. That's good enough to be 9th in the table, which is far better than I was expecting at the start of the season. I was amongst the people who thought Verona would plunge in the table having sold Marash Kumbula to Roma, Sofian Amrabat to Fiorentina, and Amir Rachmani to Napoli, of course. And yet, Verona seemed to be managing just fine without those players, while none of them have lived up to expectations. Kumbula missed a few games with COVID and has had to share playing time given the abundance of talent Roma has at centre-back. Amrabat has struggled to regain the form that he showed last season. He's had good moments, but he wasn't used properly by Yakini, and that whole team has suffered this season. And as we know, with Napoli unable to sell Kaladu Koulibaly in the summer, there has been little opportunity for Amir Rachmani to play. Even without those players, Ivan Juric has proved that he can get the most out of any player. A few players have really stepped up for Verona this season, including one who has been heavily linked to a move to Napoli. Mattias Zaccani has arguably been one of Verona's best players this season, but I think the most impressive player this season has been goalkeeper Marco Silvestri. He's second only to Pepe Reina in save percentage, and Silvestri has played every match this season, while Pepe Reina has only played in 12. The big issue for Verona this season is they don't have a legitimate striker. They signed Nikolo Kalinic in October, hoping he would be that guy, but it hasn't really worked out for him. He's had plenty of chances, but so far this season, he only has one goal to his name. It doesn't help that Kalinic and Verona's other striker Samuel Di Carmina have both missed time due to injury, including two games where neither of them were available. However, both will be fit for this match. So with that, let's get to our starting lineups. Ivan Juric lines up his men in a 3-4-2-1. As I mentioned, Marco Silvestri is the regular starter in goal. Most clubs that play a three-man backline will rotate the positions between those back three, but Juric seems to prefer Federico Ceccherini in the middle, Corey Gunter on the left, and Pavel Davidovitz on the right. But Giacomo Magnani plays quite a bit as well. He usually plays on the left. Federico Di Marco and Davide Faraoni are fixtures on the wings. The center of the midfield is the most difficult to predict. Juric has rotated between Darko Lazovic, Ivan Illich, Adrian Temez, and Miguel Veloso. Temez and Veloso are both injured, so Lazovic and Illich will likely get the start. Matias Zakani is a regular starter in one of the two trequartisti positions, and lately Antonin Barak has been the other. Finally, Nikola Kalinic will likely play at striker. For Napoli, Gennaro Gattuso will line up in the 4-2-3-1 once again. Gattuso rarely starts the same keeper in three consecutive matches. Alex Meret did it once in November, playing against Milan in Serie A, followed by Rijeka in the Europa League, and then against Roma in Serie A again. Ospina did it once in December, playing against Alkmaar in the Europa League, followed by Crotone in Serie A, and then against Real Sociedad in the Europa League again. Since Ospina has started the last two, I will take Alex Meret to start this one. Another player who typically doesn't play too many consecutive matches is Kostas Manolas, and he just returned from that minor injury. With Maksimovic nursing a foot injury, I'm going to take a shot with Amir Rachmani to start against his former club. He would be paired with Kalidou Koulibaly in the center of the back line. 
With Mario Rui having a tough outing against Juventus, I'll take Elcid Kusai to start at left back, though I wouldn't be shocked to see Fauzi Gulam start either, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. With Fabian Ruiz still recovering from COVID, we've been fairly limited in the double pivot. Tiemoy Bakayoko had a tough outing against Juve, but I think he'll get a chance to redeem himself here. Diego Deme has clocked a lot of minutes lately. I was criticized heavily for putting Stanislav Lobotka in our predicted 11 for the Supercopa, but at some point, Diego Deme needs to rest. I think we'll need Deme to play against Spezia midweek. We saw what Spezia did to a good Roma side, and it would not be a good look if we lost to Spezia twice in the same season. So I'm going to try again with Stanislav Lobotka. I might be wrong, but I think it would be really irresponsible to run Deme into the ground. For the same reason, I would like to see Matteo Politano start on the right wing. However, Gattuso is relying heavily on Lozano, so I'm going to assume that continues here. I suspect Gattuso has leaned on Lozano so heavily not just for his goal production, but also for his pace. Perhaps when Victor Osimhen returns, we'll see Gattuso go back to a timeshare between Lozano and Politano. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing, and Piotr Zielinski should start at the 10th spot. I don't think Dries Mertens is fully fit to start yet, so I'll go with Andrea Petania to start again at striker. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's take a look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is that we need to be aggressive in attack. I mentioned Marco Silvestri's form this season. We'll need to test him often if we want to find the back of the goal. Verona have conceded only 17 goals all season, which is good enough for second in the league. We'll also need to shoot with the same precision we did in the Fiorentina game. Believe it or not, the one team in the league to have conceded fewer goals than Hellas Verona is actually Napoli. Even though the clean sheet against Fiorentina was our first in 9 matches in all competitions, we do have 7 clean sheets on the year. In Serie A, we've only conceded 16 goals this season, so we're conceding just under a goal a game. The combination of our stellar goals allowed record and Verona's offensive struggles means we can afford to be more aggressive in attack. Sometimes the attack starts with how you defend. That's our second key to the match. We need to pin Verona in their own end by pressing high. That was a tactic Sinisa Mihailovic employed against Verona in their most recent match, and it was very effective. Verona tried to play out of the back and often conceded possession in their own end. That gave Bologna plenty of space to counterattack, and that's how Bologna got most of their chances in the match. Verona are very sound defensively, so when you let them get behind the ball and get organized, they're very difficult to break down. My one concern, though, is whether we'll have the energy to press high, given we just played Juventus midweek, while Verona have had the week off. The final key to the match is we need to quickly put that Juventus game behind us and focus on this one, especially Lorenzo Insigne. Even though there was an outlash immediately after Insigne missed the penalty, I think the general reaction from Napoli Tifosi was a supportive one. The city and the fanbase are definitely behind their captain. So far this season, we've had decent results after losses, but our performances after those losses have not exactly been that convincing. After the loss to Alkmaar, we beat Benevento 2-1, but we went down before coming from behind to win. After the loss to Sassuolo, we beat Rijeka 2-1, but again we fell behind early and had to come back for the win. After the loss to Milan, we beat Rijeka 2-0. The first half hour of that match was pretty tense, but in the end it was a comfortable win. Of course, we didn't respond well after the loss to Inter. That was followed by a loss to Lazio and a draw to Torino. And finally, after the loss to Spezia, we beat Udinese, but again we fell behind and had to come back and score a very late winner. The head official for this match is Michael Fabri. 
Fabry has officiated five Napoli matches since 2017, and this is the first of the current campaign. We have two wins and three draws in those matches. His assistants are Stefano Alassio and Nicolo Pagliardini. The fourth official is Antonio Di Martino, and Luigi Nasca is on the VAR, assisted by Filippo Melli. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Napoli win on goals from Andrea Petagna and Lorenzo Insigne. I'll give the Verona goal to our transfer target Mattia Zaccagni. This is not going to be an easy game, no games are. Verona will be the better rested side, but they have their share of injuries and we have more depth. Napoli will be eager to bounce back from a tough loss against Juventus in the Supercopa, but as we've just discussed, the trend is that we tend to respond with lackluster performances. Verona will be looking to bounce back from their 1-0 defeat to Bologna. That scoreline was not an accurate depiction of how that game went. Bologna had plenty of chances to score a second, but their finishing was poor. In my opinion, that was one of Verona's worst performances of the season, so we can't expect that type of performance in this match. The glass half full view of our play immediately after a loss is that we have the resolve to get a win, even when we're not at our best and despite our mental fragility. That will do for this preview. I hope you enjoyed the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a 5 star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Fortsanopoly Pod. Don't forget also to check out our new Fortsanopoly Worldwide series. The response has been overwhelmingly positive. We have a ton of demand, so if you've reached out, please be patient. We do intend to give everyone a chance to come on the podcast. We'll talk to you again next week to review the Hellas Verona match and to preview our Coppa Italia quarterfinal against Spezia. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.